this family. I, I, I just love this group. Uh, people passionate about their faith and living out their faith. And last week we started talking about, uh, well, a new series. We said it's not going to be sequential. There will be other times that, that we'll kind of touch on this throughout the rest of this year. But we started a series talking about the heart. The heart, what's going on deep down inside of us. And last week we talked about the heart of the Father, that, that God looks at people and he cares about you deeply, but he cares about the person next to you deeply as well. And that we would, as a church, not just have a heart for making a, a, a healthy, life-giving church out in the country where people you know, like to, to, to come, but that our hearts would be for those who don't know Christ yet. That our heart would be broken for them as well. That we would be reaching out, not waiting for them just to come in. And if you missed last week, you can find it online. I would encourage you to, to listen to it. Um, but this morning, as we take a look at part two, have you ever been tempted to judge someone based on what you see? You know, God looks at people, he looks at their heart, but, but we, we see the outside, right? Have you ever, you ever looked at them and said, man, couldn't they wear some, like, jeans without holes to church this morning? What's wrong with those people? You know, uh, somebody once, uh, a couple weeks ago, they said, we need to take up a second offering because the pastor's wife has so many holes in her jeans, she obviously can't afford new ones. And I was like, amen. But... Uh, <laughs> But we, we make these judgment calls, and, and, and you know, sometimes it's, sometimes it's humorous, but sometimes it's not. You know, sometimes you look at people, and you look at them, and you judge them based on their weight. You're like, oh, that person eats too much, or wow, they, uh, how do they have a body like that? You know, that, like there's, a, I, there's just so much uh, better looking than me, and you're just like, I just hate them for that. You know, or, or you look at people, and you judge them based on their, their race, or, or, their, or maybe, you know, their, their, uh, their gender. You know, it's like, I just hate all men, or, you know, women, oh, you know, who needs them? Or, or maybe it's based on religion. You know, it's like, why do they have to, like, knock on my door every Saturday morning? I just want to sleep in. You know, why do they, they got to be like that? They're all, they're all the same. Or wealth, you know, it's like, oh, rich people, you know. Well, they, they're just so snobby. And, and, uh, or it's like, man, you know, those, those, those people that are, you know, not so well off, I just don't want to talk to them. They might ask me for my money. You know, I know you never say that out loud. And it's kind of ugly. I know even hearing it, you're like, oh, it just doesn't, just doesn't sound good. But you ever had those thoughts just kind of come across? You never had those things? Um, I think we all have. Uh, I think the other side is also true. Have you ever been on the other side where people have judged you and you just like, you just, you know it and you're like, I wish they could see the whole picture because they're judging me based on that one mistake I made. You know, that, that, one, that one bad tattoo, you know, that now they're just like, they look, they, they, they just make fun of me forever for that. Or, or maybe it was that one time where you were out in public and you, you told off your kid in a little bit more, you know, volume than, than you ever have before because they just got on your last nerve and all of a sudden you're looking and there's somebody on the cell phone like, is that CAS? You know, like whatever, right? Or, or, or there's things where there, people have seen you and your wife kind of have a, you, you've lost your temper and they're like, oh, somebody's marriage, you know, and it's like, you feel it, and you wonder sometimes, and it doesn't, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't actually feel good on either side, and yet it happens a lot. Have you, ever tried to, have you ever tried to stop something in your life? You had like a bad habit, and you're like, oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop doing this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, like, to fix me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things to get, get better. And you're like, you find out later, later on that you're just really not good at it. Well, all those things are combined, and so I want to take a look at that today. Matthew lets us in on a conversation where Jesus explains how God looks at people and he explains what's most important in life. You can go to Matthew chapter 15. We'll, we'll jump right in at uh, verse number one. And so Matthew was a follower of Jesus. He was an eyewitness. So you can trust what Matthew writes. He wrote down the things that Jesus did and he wrote down the things that Jesus said. And here's, here's this interesting story that he tells us. And this story actually takes place. Jesus was on the one side of the Sea of Galilee and he had sailed across and uh, uh, the, the, the guys had sailed across in the storm. It's the famous story of Peter walking on water. 
And so they had just landed after that moment. Man, you got to see the disciples are probably like, wow, God can do anything. Like, even Peter walked on water. You know, like, God's amazing. Jesus, I don't know who you are, but you are something else. And then as they got there on the side, people who were sick came, and it says that all they wanted to do was just touch Jesus. And as soon as they could touch Jesus, they were healed. And other people were like, what? He, he's, he's just got healed. And, and others would begin to touch him. And he said any, every person that was able to come close enough to touch Jesus was healed. Uh, and even maybe this morning, that's you. Maybe for you, just that, that, that's the challenge for you, just as you reach out to Jesus this morning, praying that you might be healed as well. But they were so excited about what God was doing. And the crowds would come around this man, Jesus. And anytime the crowds got around Jesus, there were some certain people who got all ticked off because the crowds weren't around them. And they were known as the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And so here's where the story uh, starts. Some Pharisees and some teachers of religious law, they now arrived from Jerusalem. So they came to Gennesaret where Jesus was, to see Jesus. And then they asked him this question, verse 2. Why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. You know, men never change. He said, you know, he's like, here they come. It's like, Jesus, how come your disciples aren't washing their hands properly? And he probably could have just said, because they're men. You know, and it's, it's the same thing. We know, we know it by experience at Kingsway. We, uh, when we bought this building, we didn't have to put any new soap in the men's bathroom for the first two years. because, And it was just a tiny little bottle. It is disgusting. I know. For some of you, maybe that's the lesson you need to hear. You know, wash your hands. But, uh, but Jesus, so they're asking Jesus this question. They're like, hey, Jesus, how come your, your guys aren't, aren't washing your, their hands before they eat? That's just, that's just disgusting, Jesus. Don't you realize that, that your crew, this, this group you're hanging around with, they're dirty. And Jesus, he rarely replies with an answer saying, well, uh, here's, here's the answer. He, he begins to ask them questions because he wants to reveal something to them and to us as well. Because there was a crowd around listening that day too. And he says to them, verse 3, well, let me ask you guys a question. Why, why do you guys... By your traditions, why do you violate the direct commandments of God? He says, you get, you're concerned about my disciples not washing their hands. But he says, you're using the, the hand-washing tradition or other traditions to violate the commandments of God. And they start, they start, they start uh, uh, scratching their beards a little bit, and they start thinking, and they're like, you're right. You know, the 11th commandment is not, thou shalt wash thy hands after doing thy business or whatever thou hast done. That's not, that's not a commandment. And they're sitting there thinking, well, okay, yeah, what do you, what do you mean? What? And he's like, he continues. He says, you know what? For instance, he, he says, God says, honor your father and mother. And they're thinking, oh, yeah, that's one of the top ten. Oh, okay. He says, God says, honor your father and mother. And, and actually, you have another law that says anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. How many teenagers are glad we don't follow that law? He says, but these are the laws that you have. He says, honor your father and mother. Anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father and mother must be put to death. In verse 5, he says, but you guys say it's all right for people to say to their parents, hey, sorry, I can't help you. I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. And in this way, you say you don't need to honor your, your parents or they don't need to honor their parents. And so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. Here's what he's saying to them. This is a little bit, little bit confusing, but back in their culture, they didn't have seniors home to ship their parents off to. So when dad was getting a little bit old and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't tend to the goats anymore the, or the sheep probably, uh, they, would, they would take their parents in and help them or they would give them sheep from their flocks to make sure they were taken care of. And what they, he says, what they were doing 
these people would say, oh, you know what, Dad? I, I wish that I could give you some of my sheep, but I can't because I actually promised that I'm going to give those sheep to God someday. So I need to take care of them until I give them to God, whenever that may happen, probably after you're dead. And he says, you, he says, here you guys are using traditions, things you made up so that you don't have to do what God actually says. And you're, you're kind of worried about my disciples not washing their hands. He says in verse 7, he used that word, you hypocrites. You people who are saying one thing, hey, you guys are dirty, you should wash your hands, are doing something far worse. He's like, you don't realize that, that dirty hands are not as important as dirty hearts. He said, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. And here, these are people who study the word every day. That's what they get paid to do. And they're like, oh, no, we, we know what Isaiah said. And he's like, yeah, you know what? Isaiah said it about you. He says, Isaiah wrote in verse 8, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He says, their worship's a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as the commandments of men. He's like, you guys are concerned about what things look like on the outside. Your lips speak words. Your hands are ceremonially clean. But he says, but your heart's what's really most important. And then Jesus actually calls to the crowds. And the crowds, are like, they gather around. And every time Jesus and the Pharisees are having conversations, they're, they're always listening in like, what's he going to do this time? Right? And every single time they try and trap Jesus, Jesus comes out leveled up. You know, Now he's superhero Jesus. Or like, you know, he's got extra, extra powers in, in, in their minds. And they just wait to see. And so, so Jesus calls to the crowd who's all watching. And he says, to them, he says to them, and he says to us, listen, listen. I know you've been listening. But I want you to try to understand what just happened here. He says, it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You're defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And then the disciples came to him in the, after, and they said, Jesus, do you realize that you just offended the Pharisees with what you just said? And he's like, yeah. He's like, and then it's that famous saying where he says, you know, if people, if blind people want to follow blind people, they're just both going to end up in the ditch. He's like, if you want to be all concerned about hand washing and all that, he says, you're going to miss the whole point. And, and, and the disciples are, they're sitting there with Jesus, and they're like, miss the point, miss the point. I, what was, what, there was a point to all that? I thought we just got off scot-free, you know, because they're standing there, the crowd's looking at them. They're like, oh, now everybody knows we didn't wash our hands, you know, and they got to put their hands in their togas and wherever to hide. Like, get, Jesus, what was, what was the point? And, of course, Peter, the one who always does the talking, just voices what everybody says, and verse 15 says, Peter says to Jesus, explain to us, Explain to us the parable or the story that people aren't defiled by what they eat. What did you mean by that? And Jesus says in verse 16, don't you understand yet? Anything that you eat, this is, this is like incredible truth right here. Anything that you eat passes through your stomach and then goes into the toilet. How many of you memorized that one as a child? <laughs> it, it, it should be on a mug. No, Colleen, restrain yourself. Every time I say that, I get a mug and I just don't want that one. Whatever goes into your mouth passes through your stomach and goes straight into the toilet, he says. But verse 18, but the words you speak, they come from where? The heart. He's revealing to them something and to us as well. What's coming out is coming from the heart. And he says, and that's what defiles you. This, this hand-washing thing, that's not what this is all about. Verse 19, he says, from the heart comes a lot of things. Evil thoughts are coming from here. Well, I thought they were up here. No, no, they start in here. He says, murder. Well, I thought that was with the hand. No, no, it starts here. He says, adultery. That starts here. All sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. He says these things all come from the heart, and they're the things that defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. And all the men were like, thank you. But Jesus says the heart is where things are so, so important. And as Jesus' disciples, he's like, hey, it's what's in the heart 
that matters. That's what he's, he's focusing on. So I have a question for you this morning. What do these three next three pictures have in common? Uh, this is the Blue Jays. And they're, who's yay? They're losing. They're losing terrible. Here's the, here's the Blue Jays. And then there's this, this movie. Maybe you've seen it way back. It's a movie called Sabrina. Uh, a great, great movie. This guy named Linus Larrabee here. He's the character that I'm asking about. What does is, what is the Blue Jays, Linus Larrabee, have in common with this next one, the Tin Man from The Wizard of Oz? What's the, what do they all have in common? That's right. They have no heart. That's why those Jays are losing. They don't play with any heart at all. But, but you guys... You guys have a heart, each and every one of you, and it matters. And the thing that I want you to realize this morning is God's looking at it. And if God's looking at it, then we probably should be as well. He's challenging me with that thought. If he's looking into my heart, I better be looking in there as well to see what's happening. So this morning, I would kind of title this, well, it's not really the title, but this, I would explain this moment, this time together, is kind of like open heart surgery. Open heart surgery, the very first time, was done in 1893 by Daniel Hale Williams on a guy named James Cornish. He had been stabbed in a gang fight, and they did open-heart surgery and saved his life. This morning, I was going to put pictures up there, but I just couldn't do that to you. It is not fun. If you know someone or if you've had open-heart surgery, it's not pleasant. It's not comfortable, but it's life-saving. And this morning may not be comfortable, and it may not feel pleasant the whole time. You may smile at parts, and you're like, oh, whoa, the other parts hurt a little. But for you, it could be life-saving, and that's why we want to talk about it. I want to talk about three kings. Not the three kings you talk about at Christmas, but these three kings right here. We got King Saul, King David, King Solomon, famous, famous kings from the uh, Old Testament, uh, the, the history of Israel. You can leave those up there. These three kings actually got together for this one picture, and so I'm glad we got it. But uh, you, can, you can tell that King Saul needs a beard trimmer, King David needs ab flex, and King Solomon needs just pay attention. But, but these three kings, King Saul... King Saul was the one who was tall, he was dark, he was handsome, he looked very kingly, and so they chose him, but inside he was insecure, he was cowardly, and he didn't have a heart for the Lord. The people just wanted him because he looked like a great king. And, and Samuel said to him when he made him king, remember what the Lord has done for you. You were a nobody, now you're a king. Remember that God did this for you. He says, now serve him with all your heart. And, and King Saul's like, okay, okay. But deep down here, he didn't ever had a heart for God. He did the right kingly things, but he did it with the wrong heart attitude. He would do the right God-following things. You know, he, he, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't do it with the right heart attitude. Samuel came and said, God's telling you, uh, King Saul, you got to go conquer this, this nation and then bring the plunder back, and I will return and we will sacrifice, uh, make a sacrifice to the Lord of thanksgiving. And King Saul went and did as he was told, partly, then came back, and he's looking around. Well, Samuel's not here. I'll just do the sacrifice myself something he was never supposed to do. And then as, as Samuel came back later and said, King Saul, you were never supposed to, you did part of it, but you didn't do it with all your heart. You didn't follow the Lord with your heart. Then uh, he said, well, it's your fault. You know, you should have got here earlier. It's your fault. You, you're the one who, uh, who should have uh, been here on time. And he was more concerned with what was going on outside than what was going on inside. Then you got David, King David, after King Saul, you know, without a heart for the Lord, he got replaced. And King David when Samuel went to anoint him as king, God said to Samuel, said, he, he right away looked at David's oldest brother. He's like, hey, he looks kingly. He's tall, he's dark, he's handsome. He's got to be the guy. And it's that famous saying where God said, hey, don't look at the outward appearance because I'm not. He says, I'm looking at the heart and that young kid out in the field, he's the one that we want. He's the one who has a heart after me. In Acts chapter 13, they talk about that, that David's heart was after God. And you think if you know the story of David, it's kind of strange because King Saul did a lot of the right things, but didn't have the right heart. David did a whole lot of wrong things 
And yet, he was credited with having a heart after God. How come? David did really dumb stuff. Like, the one, like one day he's up on his, he's, he's supposed to be fighting in the battles, but he doesn't. So he's hanging out on his rooftop, and he's kind of, you know, it's, it's the evening. And so as he's walking around his rooftop, he looks over, and he sees a woman having a bath on top of her rooftop, which is strange as well. And then as he's up there, he sees her, and he's like, huh, I want her. And I'm the king, so I guess I can have her. And he sends his, his uh, guys out to say, go get her for me. So he takes her back to his apartment. They uh, make wild, passionate love, and then he sends her back home. Well, she sends him a letter a little while later saying, uh, I'm pregnant, and I have a hunch I know who it is. And he's like, uh-oh, i got to fix this. He's like, well, I don't know how to fix this. So he tries to fix it by sending her husband home. That doesn't work. So he has her husband murdered to cover up his infidelity. And then after the husband's murdered, he takes, the, takes her as his wife, and uh, he says, you know, um, it's all, it, nobody will know I've gotten away with it. Until a little while later, God, who sees the heart and who loves David enough, sends a guy named Nathan, a prophet, who comes up to, to David and says, he points out his, his fault and says, you know what, the word of the Lord for you is that you're, you've sinned against God. You've done something wrong. And David, he, he's so brokenhearted. He writes Psalm 51 and just says, God, my sin's ever before me. I can't carry this. Would you, would you take this? I, I repent. I've sinned against you. See, in David's heart, even though he didn't get it all right, he had a heart that was sincere to turn and follow what God was doing uh, on the inside. And then there's Solomon, third king. Solomon was David's son. He started out with a heart for God. He's just a young kid when he becomes king, and, and, and God gives him this opportunity. He says, says to him, Solomon, whatever you want, I'll give you. Man, what would your 16-year-old say if you asked, if, if God, if not you, if God told him that? You know, no limits. What would you want? I want a Ferrari and a pair of Nikes. You know, whatever it's, what, what would you ask for? Well, Solomon asked for wisdom, and because of the wisdom, got incredible wealth, became incredibly famous. But his heart for the Lord drifted as a result. His heart all of a sudden became wired to success, and his heart became, became, began chasing after women. And it says uh, in 1 Kings 11.4, it says, Solomon's wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God like the, the heart of his father David. And at the end of Solomon's life, after having lived his, with a heart for God for a little while and then not, he says, you know what, at the end, all the stuff I gained, all the money I had, it was all vanity. Life meant nothing at the end because his heart wasn't no longer after God. Proverbs 4.23 is something Solomon wrote. He probably should have took his own advice. It's good advice. It's more of this do as I say, not as I do type thing. But he said this, guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart. Stand guard over this thing right here like, like a soldier guarding a prison cell. Like Jesus, just stand guard over that. Not half-hearted, but make sure you guard this thing. Why? Because it determines the course of your life. One version says, out of it come the issues of your life. You got issues in your life? And guess where they're coming from? Right in here. The boundaries of your life, the direction of your life, it's coming from here. You sometimes think, oh, this is kind of where I'm at. And you want to look outside, but it's, it's actually coming from in here. Um, we're, we're often most concerned about what's going on outside rather than what's going on inside. We just are. It's all, all throughout our culture, just the way we live. Um, we recently uh, listed our house to sell our house, and so we had a real estate agent come in, and we're talking to him, hey, what should we do? What should we fix up to make sure that it's going gonna, it's gonna to sell? And we're like, you know, the furnace is a little old. Should we be fixing that? He's like, don't worry about the furnace. Don't worry about any of that kind of stuff. The air conditioner, don't worry about that. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. He says, all you got to do is paint your front door and paint, you know, the fresh coat of paint on the walls in the house. 
I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, that's all you need to do. He says, people, when they walk up your laneway, he says, they'll know within 30 seconds whether they like your house or not. And he says, and when they walk in, all they're looking at is the walls saying, huh, I wonder if my stuff will match that. So painted a color that matches everything. And that's it. I'm like, that's crazy. That shouldn't be the way it is, but it is. We're mostly concerned about, uh, about what, uh, what, the, what the outside looks like. And so we're like, okay, we'll take your advice. Sold our house in eight hours. Then, you know, the other thought, it's like dating. Remember when you were dating? Maybe you're, maybe you're still in that stage. Sorry. You know, but for those of you who are like past that stage, what did you do when you were dating? You worried about all the exterior. You know, the women put on a fresh coat of paint. Um, the, the guys, you got a haircut, and you, you know, you made sure you were on your, you looked best on the exterior, so that hoping that somebody would accept your interior. You didn't go out there and say, hey, yeah, my name's so-and-so, and I got a whole lot of hang-ups, habits, and hurts that I just want to dump on you right away on the first date. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen, right? Do you know what's really unfortunate, though, is we've become so good at masking this heart that there's couples who've never, ever got to the place where they can actually share themselves with their partner. Because we're worried so much about the exterior that they don't really ever share the stuff that's going on here. And then we have this thing called religion where we've tried to create this way on the outside to get good with God. You know, maybe if we try harder uh, to keep the commandments, if we try to be better, maybe God will love me more. And we, we have thoughts like this, you know, if, like the guy in the black shirt. If I, if I just pray, if I come to church and pray more, you know, then, then maybe God will love me more. Or maybe just like the girl in the red, if I just show up, you know, maybe that's going to be, that's going to count for something. And we have these things, and as I've talked with people, you know, we, we have these thoughts of, I just got, I got to get my, I got to get my life together. I've talked to someone about getting baptized, and like, well, I'm not really sure if I've, if I've done enough yet, if I've gotten my life together. And, and then we begin to measure how we're doing. We try and fix ourselves, and we try and measure it. You know, it's like, man, I haven't had a drink in like seven days. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to celebrate. I owe myself one. And you start all over. You know, or I haven't looked at porn on the internet for two whole weeks and then it's like, hmm, a little bit wouldn't hurt. You know, or it's like, man, I haven't said a swear word in a whole month. It's bleeping awesome. Oh, whoops. I start over. Nobody laughs because they don't want to be revealed that maybe that was me. I know. I know, but why? Because we can't, we, we don't do well fixing ourselves. And we try, we focus on the outside, hoping that God, thinking that God may love us more as a result. But you know what? God's not concerned about the outside. Not nearly as, as much as he's concerned about the inside and about your heart, but are you? Are you watching what's going on in your heart? You're like, well, how do I know what's going on in my heart? Here's a couple thoughts for you this morning. Number one, Jesus said your words, your words reveal what's going on in your heart. And, the, and, and, and God's word reveals what's going on in your heart. And I hope that as we look at his word this morning, it, it does that inside of you, that it shows you. Like David, God's word came to him and said, David, this is what's really going on in your heart. He's like, okay, okay. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. The New King James says it, it, it uh, judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It knows what's going on in our hearts. And as we allow his word in there, it reveals what things need to be adjusted. Our heart also will tell us what's going on deep down in there if we'll listen. You know, in poker, they say that as you're watching the people's faces, they have tells. You know, there's things that they do that, that tell you what's going on in, in, their, uh, in their cards. It reminded me of the, the, uh, an old song. Uh, we were tell, talking to our kids about old songs and we, that we used to sing when I was, like, real little. And, and uh, so they were like, Dad, can you, can you play them? Can you play them? So we put some of them up on, the, on, the, on our uh, 
stereo through the iPhone, and one of them was Kenny Rogers, you know, son, I made a life by reading people's faces, knowing what the cards were by the way they held their eyes. So if you don't mind me saying, I can see you're out of aces for a drink of your soda. I'll give you some advice because you got to know. When to fold them? Okay, no when to run. Right, all right. No more. I'm going to get, we're going to get emails, right? Why are they singing gambling songs in church? And others are going to be like, that's my favorite. When's the worship team going to do it? Um, but but either, either way, he says, I can tell by the look in your eyes. I see it in your eyes. I know what's in your hand. And the same thing is our hearts have tells that you can see those things. It'll tell you what's really going on down here because we don't really have a great idea of what's happening. And, and here's, here's three quick things. Words. The words you speak are coming from here. Jesus said it in the story we just read. And Luke writes it down that Jesus said, it's out of the abundance of your heart that your mouth speaks. What's in here is coming out. Um, but are, are, are you listening to it? James, actually, the brother of Jesus, wrote, you can't tame your tongue. You can try to stop saying things, but it's going to come out somewhere. You try and bottle it all up, it's going to come out at some point, And it will tell what's going on in the inside. Um, but you ever listen to the words that you speak? I mean, we hear it in others all the time. You know, that person's so negative. Oh, that person, oh, they're always complaining. Or that person's condescending. But what about us? A little while ago, I was trying to cure a snoring problem. And so I got this app that would listen to me while I sleep. And then in the morning, you play it, and it tells you, you know, when, what moments you were snoring, when you rolled over, and the words you said during the middle of the night, I'm gone, Batman. <laughs> you know, and, and so you could upload it to the, the internet and whatever else, and listen to other people's, you know, sleep talk as well. And it's neat that, you know, you, you, people are listening to their sleep talk, but what about their awake talk? You know, are you listening to that? If you've got on your phone where you say, hey, Siri, can you look something up for me? If you can just simply wake your phone up by saying, hey, Siri, that means Siri's listening to you all the time, just so you know. The Russians are apparently listening to us all the time, too, so hopefully Putin gets saved as a result of this, but they're listening. People are listening, but are you listening? Are you listening to what comes out of your heart? Are you, the words you're speaking, are they negative, condescending? You know, I was talking with somebody this week, and they're like, oh, you know what worship song I hate right now? And I'm just like, man, they always talk to me about the worship songs they hate. You know, why don't we just talk about a worship song you love right now? What's the one that's on your heart and you're singing? You know, my kids sometimes are like, oh, you know, I just, this day is terrible. Like, it's 10 a.m. How is it possible that this whole day is terrible? Did you have breakfast this morning? Yeah. What was it? Oh, cereal. Was that good? Yeah. Okay, that was good. Yeah, but the rest of the day is just terrible. I got to do school. You know, it's like these things of so often we want to go down these things, and it's telling us what's going on in our heart. Another thing is blame. You know, blame's another thing. If you hear yourself blaming people, Saul was blaming Samuel for the stuff going on in his life, and it was telling, telling about the, the, the issues in his heart. We need to learn how to own our own stuff because the issues and the boundaries of our heart, of our life, are coming from our heart. Proverbs 19, verse 3 says this, People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at the Lord. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, the stuff coming from here, but then they're angry at the Lord. Blame's like sitting in a hole that someone else dug for you, and rather than climbing the ladder of forgiveness or the rope of destiny, blaming others takes ownership of their offense and makes misery into your home. And you stay there, and you're like, you know, maybe someone else, maybe you're like, Mark, you don't understand. Somebody did something to me as a child, and that's why I'm in the place where I'm at, or so-and-so, you don't know what my husband did, you don't know what my wife did, you don't know what my parents did. Well, maybe someone else did cause your misery, but blame will never allow you to be free. Someone may have caused it, but blaming them will never allow you to get free. 
See, the thing is, all blame's a waste of time. A guy named Wayne Dyer shared this. He's uh, one of those motivational speakers, and sometimes they don't quite get it, but he's close. All blame's a waste of time. No matter how much fault you find with another, and regardless of how much you blame him, it will not change you. The only thing blame does is keep the focus off, um, off of you when you're looking for external reasons to explain the unhappiness or frustration, to explain the internal. He says, you may succeed in making another feel guilty uh, of something by blaming them, but you won't succeed in changing whatever it is about you that's making you unhappy. See, this idea of it's, it's everybody else's fault, it's always out there. Well, you'll be right, but you'll be miserable. You might be right about blaming all those people, but you'll be miserable. And people who are always looking to find fault rarely find anything else. And blame's a tell of what's going on in the heart. See, a heart after God is ready and willing to allow God to change them, to say, this is what I need you to do on the inside. A heart of God isn't defensive. You know, when, when, when uh, Nathan came to David, he wasn't like, Nathan, you don't understand. There I was, and there she was. She was out taking a bath on her roof. Her name's Bathsheba. It means bathing on the roof, you know, or whatever. And he says, you know, what was I supposed to do? See, if ever you want to blame the circumstances going on around you, David realized, he's like, no, no, it wasn't her. It was me. It was, it, it, a hundred men could have seen her, but I was the one who did something I shouldn't have. It was here. It, the, the problem is here. Third one's money. Jesus talked more about money than anything else. And he said, you know, you can't serve God and serve money. And where your money is, that's where your heart will be. He says, where we spend our money, what do we spend our money on? Where's our, where, what's, if you look at your, you know, your bank statement, your visa statement, where does all your money go? Because it tells you something about what you really value. And for most of you, most of us, the temptation is to spend it on me. Because I want to spend on me, 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 because it's all about me, me, me. And I'll give a little to you, but most of it's for me, me, me. And the, the thought is that it's all, it's all for us. But he doesn't want us to live that way. Well, there's no actual joy in that. He's saying, hey, I want you to live generously with others. But it tells us something. And for some of you, like, that's what I can't stand about Christianity and church. All that God wants my money. Can I tell you something? He doesn't really want your money. He wants your heart. He just wants this. A friend of mine, Kim Wheeler, said it this way. He says, God doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. Because when he has your heart, he gets your money. And you won't mind. Because he's got you. And, you know, every healthy relationship really fits into that category. Isn't it true? Kids don't really want dad's money. They don't want just dad to give me the money. They want dad. They want relationship with dad. You've seen it. The rich kids who just got everything, their, their, their dad just gave them everything, but all they were craving for was relationship with dad. You know, husbands and wives, not like, I just want his money. Well, if you do, it's not healthy. But that's that thought of just, I want the relationship. It's, it's not just the money. It's that same thing. And so those are tells, things of like, hey, my heart may not be in the right place. And in closing today, why does God care so much about what's going on in the heart? See, because us, when we look at life, we try and deal everything from the outside in, and he deals with everything from the inside out. Don't miss this point. It's probably the most important one. God deals with things from the inside out. My kids come to me uh, when it's time to clean up the room, and we have to put their clothes back in their closets and whatever, and the clean ones, they'll, they'll hand me their clothes, their jammies every night, and be like, Dad, can you inside out this for me? It's like, Okay, so the legs go this way, and the shirt, the arms are supposed to go this way, and we, we inside out it for them, and we give it back to them, and they're able to put it on. You know, God's looking at your heart, and he wants to inside out the things going on in here. He wants to start here. You know, it, maybe for you, 
it, you struggle with words. There's things that you're like, oh, all the stuff is always negative, or I just can't stop you know, my, my potty mouth or whatever it is. I just can't deal with it. You know what he wants? He wants to fill your heart with his words so that, that those things would begin to come out of, of your mouth. And maybe you just got to stay instead of stop. You know, I've had, I had a friend of mine back in the day, every time he said a bad word, he would snap his finger in a mousetrap to try and remind him. All he ended up with is a really sore finger. And he would still, you know, cuss like a sailor because it doesn't work. But he, this is the thought of saying, Dad, would you, I got an issue with the words I say. Would you inside out this for me? You know, maybe for you it's an addiction. And you've managed to hide it, or you try and hide it, or they haven't found out yet, so I guess that's freedom. That's not freedom. You know, he wants to inside out that for you. God, I have trouble with what I look at on the internet. Would you inside out this for me? God, I, I, I can't stop drinking. Would, would you inside out this for me? God, I, I can't stop, the, you know, the, the, the thoughts of anger and hatred in my head. God, would you inside out this for me? You know, for maybe for you, it's blame or unforgiveness that you carry around. You carry it around like the flu. You don't realize it because you're just angry at one person. You're like, oh, if I see them, I'll tell them this. And yet, in the moments and all that time, you're, 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 you're treating your family and all the other ones around you with this negativity. He's saying, you know what, God, that person wronged me, but would you inside out this for me? And the last one, anxiety. Maybe you're here this morning, you're just controlled by fear. You're trying to control everything around you, and you can't. You can't, you don't control outcomes. You can't make things happen and it's stressing you out. You're like, you're trying to figure it all out. It's time to say, God, would you just inside out this for me? Uh, help me to trust you with all my heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. All your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. So this morning, I believe there's three different types of people here. I believe there's some of you that you would, you would resonate most with Saul, that one king where you're like, you're here, but you don't really have a heart after God. You just sort of ended up here. Some, maybe you just come because people invite you. And it's like, ah, it's kind of they have free stuff. You know, I heard there's hot dogs, so sure, I'm in. But your heart's not like after God. I can, can I tell you this morning, maybe you're here because you, 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 know, you feel like, man, I've done way too much bad stuff. I don't think God could love me. I, and that lie just goes through your head all the time. Can I tell you that God's not looking at your outside? He's not looking at all the things that you've done wrong. That's not what he cares about. He cares about you. He cares about this, and he loves your heart because he didn't care when the religious people acted perfect. He didn't care about them. He didn't care about that. He would describe them as being like whitewashed tombs. He's like, you guys look good on the outside, but inside it's dead. He's like, I, I, I'm, I'm talking to you this morning. He'd be like Shania Twain, you know, that don't impress me much. That's whatever's going on here or out, you think you got your outside good. That, that's not what it's all about. It'd be like dressing up a pig in a tuxedo. It's still a pig. He's like, we try and dress up the outside to make it look like we, everything's okay inside. That pig's running straight to the manure pile as soon as he gets a chance. And God says to us, he's like, I'm, I, I don't think, he says, I want to transform the inside. I want to give you a new heart. I want to transform you. You know, you, you're, you're stuck in this sin. I want to set you free. I want to do that in you. But you need to come to me. You need to give your heart to me. You know, Jesus didn't distance himself from the people who made mistakes. He didn't. He sent his son to die, not so people could behave better, but so they could know him, so their heart could be changed. And for the rest here this morning, for those of you who are Jesus followers, my question is for you, and it can be something that happens to every one of us, including me. You feel a little bit like Solomon sometimes, where your faith kind of, the heart, the heart for it just drifts a little. You'll, you'll do church on Sunday. You're here, but your heart's not in it. 
they're singing the songs, and you're just like, oh, when's it over? Wait, do I, just get to the speaking. I don't want to sing. They're singing about the greatness of God, and you can maybe sing the words, but it's not coming from here. Or maybe you, you're listening to the word, and you hear it's like, ah, it sinks, and you're like, oh, it's a little uncomfortable. Let's just get to the brownies, you know, and get out of here until next Sunday, and there's no thought of it during the week. He's saying, you know what, if that's you, he's calling you back to him. He's saying, come, let me stir up the heart for me inside of you. Let me stir that up in you, but you've got to open the, the heart to him. And for those who are here this morning, the last thought is this. Maybe there's some of you, you just have that heart like David, just a heart after God, and he's kind of stirring some things in your heart this morning. And I would encourage you, you know, that just to take, take the next step with that. Say, God, you've revealed it. Would you inside that out in me? God, would you do what you need to do in me? Proverbs 21.1 says this, The king's heart's in the hand of the Lord, and like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. Would you be able to say that about you? Mark's heart's in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. My heart's in your hands, God. I believe that there's a lot of us who need to do that this morning, to simply say, God, I put my heart, I put my life in your hands. God, would you, would you make it what you desire it to be? And I'll follow you with a heart after you, not just actions, but my heart after you. Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you for every person here this morning. And you know exactly where we're at, really. We may not, but you do. God, would you investigate our hearts this morning? Would you shine a spotlight in there and just see what you find? God, some of us, it's scary sometimes of what we think you might find in there. But Lord, help us to realize and know and be convinced of your goodness and your incredible love for us. The way you desire to do in our heart is for our good and for, for your glory. Father, I pray for every person here this morning who's kind of wrestling with those thoughts of giving their heart to you for the very first time. Father, I pray that you do what we can't. And Holy Spirit, that, that you would just convince them of your incredible love for them. That they'd be able to trust you completely by putting their life in your hands. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, for saving us, and not just leaving us where you found us, but that you continue to do stuff in our lives. Pray that you stir up our heart as a church, that we'd have your heart, that, that we would we'd be thinking about people who don't know you and reaching out to them with your incredible love. Father, thank you for that. It's in your amazing, wonderful name that I pray. Amen.